0: time and time again all week throughout this quality 2020 conference is people saying um now is the time now during this pandemic to really focus on quality improvement principles to really focus on workforce well-being to really focus on equity to really focus on co-production um but there seems to be a kind of tension there because in order to do this well we have to measure a lot of stuff, don't we? We have to work in a particular systematic way. Do you feel now really is the time for quality improvement if you're working at the front line in a health system?
1: Yeah, I, well, I don't know. That's a big question. Is it the time for quality improvement? It's, there's been urgent problems to solve way before COVID. Uh, for example, inequity. So we've known that inequity is unbelievably important issue in public health and healthcare for a long time and anybody who's surprised by the disparities we're seeing with covid hasn't been paying attention so it, I, I don't think that covid is a magic moment that will suddenly make quality improvement more relevant there are plenty of issues from world hunger to management of diabetes in Uh, in in India. It it just, these are big problems. So I think where we have a possible entry point that we should definitely uh, leverage uh, is that uh, the way in which people adapted and learned during COVID in very rapid way was driven by doing experiments in real time and having a learning system in which they could learn as an organization and in fact, learn across organizations to deal with this. And so if you take, for example, prone positioning, you know, laying the patient on the stomach or whatever, uh, that was known actually, there's evidence for that, but not necessarily widely done. In COVID, suddenly somebody said, well, let's try that. Uh, And it really worked. And very rapidly, those organizations learned that that's important, much more important than remdesivir, by the way. Uh, And it began to be done all across the country. And as a result of mainly those changes in practice, the mortality rate fell and the survival rate increased. So uh, I think understanding not did they do PDSA cycles. But did they use the experimental method and have a learning health system that that respected what the frontline was learning, pushed it up to the levels of leadership that could then make it part of the system, either through training or protocols or, or whatever? What did they do? How did they measure that? And we'll find that they were doing quality improvement. So if you go back to your religiosity statement that these are core principles of learning and uh, and implementation.
0: I've really noticed whenever I've been to QI conferences, there's a real, um, a really unusual atmosphere at quality improvement conferences that I've, I've tried to explain it to a number of friends. And the the best I can get is that it's like a kind of Billy Graham rally. There's a kind of religious fervor about it. Everyone is, you know, really excited. I think, you know, it's a very positive thing, but it's also slightly odd to me for a healthcare conference. Yeah, Um, well, I'll
1: be a little bit careful about how I express this because I don't want to be taken as saying that's a bad thing. I think, as you said, there's a good aspect to it, people go to these conferences to get buoyed, uh, to to get people around them who understand what they're doing and can give them a boost. Uh, And that's really, really important. Uh, uh, And and that's true of almost any professional meeting, but in quality improvement, the double-edged sword, I think, is that it is a bit dogmatic and some would say religious. Uh, these are the believers by and large and it's a little bit of an echo chamber and you know you get that in other disciplines as well so there's a meeting on diagnostic error that I was just hearing the summary of yesterday and really, uh, there really there's a uh, congealing around a certain set of ideas and way of thinking uh, and That's great because it's an important problem and people need to be energized about it. But on the other hand, I I said, well, uh, what about some thinking about the interventions and implementation and what what are they learning that you can actually show me a pathway from that insight and that presentation to an understanding of why that diagnostic error occurred to understanding the system in which it occurred and then to intervening and actually doing a uh, a fairly rigorous at least study to see whether or not you can reduce that error. And I r- rarely see swinging the bat through is, I don't know if you say that in cricket, but in baseball, so it's to swing the bat through. Uh, and uh, that, that's a bit of a problem. And last year uh, at the real live forum, uh, I talked basically about what makes improvement science a science. And I think if we're gonna call ourselves a science, we have to hold ourselves uh, accountable for uh, I'll say the rigor, the credibility of what we produce and getting really excited about every little aspect of improvement, every bright spot, every achievement, that's one thing. And then showing that it actually worked and not only did it work for you, but it would work for others is just incredibly important. So I think you've hit upon something uh, that, that I think is critical. I wouldn't say that it's odd. I think it's uh, a principle of a lot of uh, disciplines where people are uh, sometimes not recognized as what they hope to be recognized at. That, for example, improvement science, some people say that's soft science. I go to a, used to go to a cocktail party uh, or wine party and people say, oh, that, that's nice. It almost pat me on the head and we know that's soft science. And my job, I'm Chief uh, Scientific Officer, Mayor of this, my job is to be able to stand there and say, with some credibility, that yes, there are scientific principles, here's an example of how that works.
0: Where are we at now then, do you think, with QI? As somebody who's been in the field for quite some time, um, what do you think the challenge is around credibility for this? This movement?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's that a lot of what we espouse and promote changes the conversation and energizes people about the need to solve a problem. And that's great, but then sometimes we're a little bit short on evidence. Uh, for example, I was. Uh, assigned the job of looking at the evidence behind over hundred models for caring for patients with complex healthcare needs for uh, a project that IHI was funded to do by the Commonwealth Fund in the United States. And I used criteria that were adapted from the Cochrane collaboration and from the so-called grade evidence uh, grading system. And very few of them were strong evidence and a lot of them were weak evidence or opinion. And then when I looked to see how many of them had actually been scaled successfully beyond the model builder, the person who put it together, there were very few of those. And and so uh, I, I had to say, we have to be transparent about this. I, I don't know if I had a slide uh, on this, but uh, I did a paper with Susan Wells from New Zealand uh, on uh, publications about IHI style breakthrough series collaboratives, which I think are a great learning uh, mechanism and are really good for getting people to implement evidence-based practice. I think they're great. But when, I, when we looked at the uh, studies that have been published, um, there were all kinds of issues of bias uh, in those studies that fundamentally uh, made you question whether the results were what they said they were. I had an interesting conversation with one of the most uh, senior and eminent improvement scientists that IHI works with, uh, one of the founders actually of the Associates for Process Improvement that came up with a model for improvement. And I was telling him, I said, we just finished the study. We looked at all these, did a systematic review of all these collaboratives and by and large, the majority of them achieved the outcomes that they set out to achieve, which was the good news. And he said, yeah, but the other news is that you also said that the majority of them were riddled with bias. So why should I believe them? And that's the crux. You have to be able to balance when you go to work every day or you talk about quality improvement, the changing the conversation and the enthusiasm and what people who were dedicated and invested in that, that were so enthusiastic that they wanted to do this with, well, is that representative really of, uh, of good evidence. Does that include the people who aren't all enthused? That didn't write a check that, that, for your your collaborative. Uh, that uh, weren't chosen because of their excellence. What, what about the rest of the people? And that's why in the talk you notice I, I mentioned a NHS trial for uh, laparotomy, uh, and in that trial. Uh, For a whole bunch of reasons, they did not achieve the results that were achieved in a collaborative. And so then the question is, why was that? I mean, they did what I think was a good thing. They did a randomized trial. Nobody can question. That's a good way to really show that something can work at scale. But then it failed. And to the credit of the investigators, they did what's called a process evaluation to see why it failed. And why it failed was utterly predictable. So even if you're going to do a randomized trial, you can't set it up in a way that by definition can't support the role of improvement sites because you didn't take account of the realities in the field.